Hi, I'm David Freudberg, host of Humankind. Listeners know that we explore many realms of the human journey, and some of our podcasts, including some of my favorites, delve into wisdom traditions, sometimes ancient writings or teachings that arise from a variety of backgrounds, sources that help us to focus on truths that really matter. And a lot of this boils down to connecting to something bigger than ourselves, to see that we're all part of some mysterious river of meaning, that the whole is truly greater than the sum of its parts. When I can get calm and touch that inner place of quietude, it points me homeward. Thank you. Coming up on a Humankind special, about 1.2 million people are in U.S. prisons, and almost all will eventually be released. But what can interrupt the revolving door through which many inmates end up back behind bars? A fundamental shift in self-identity. That's what's really going to interrupt it. How do you come to experience yourself and see yourself in such a fundamentally different way that crime is no longer of interest to you. Author and counselor Robin Kasarjan believes houses of corrections can be transformed into houses of healing from trauma. We'll hear her remarkable experience with prisoners, as well as from former inmates who followed her guidance and undergone a profound change. I'm David Freudberg. Stay with us for Helping Prisoners to Heal from Humankind. Humankind is produced in association with GBH Boston and Documentary Educational Resources. This special project, Helping Prisoners to Heal, is supported by the Humankind Program Fund. Helping Prisoners to Heal from the Traumas that Landed Them Behind Bars. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Can the cold world inside prisons, sometimes called houses of correction, be transformed into actual houses of healing? Robin Kasarjian is a petite woman in Boston who has devoted decades to that quest, and she has often put herself in what many might regard as dangerous places. I'm five, one and a half, and 110 pounds soaking wet, and I feel completely safe when I'm in a prison. I mean, I never feel threatened. And you've been going into prisons for how long? 30 years. So that's pretty striking yeah, that no, you, you feel safe. Yeah. No, I'm not walking in, in some part of the prison where there aren't other people that if I needed protection that they wouldn't be there. But I find that there are a lot of people also in prison who I feel I would be totally protected by if there was ever an issue. I feel like I have a force of people surrounding me that would come to my aid if I ever needed that. Robin herself has never been incarcerated or even accused of a crime. But as a counselor and educator, her book, Houses of Healing, has reached thousands of inmates throughout the U.S. In addition, learning materials she's developed for youth involved in the justice system have been adopted by many of the largest states. 
Based at the Lionheart Foundation in Dedham, Massachusetts, she's been on an unusual mission. To give people effective programming so that they don't come back to prison, so that they don't cost the taxpayer more money, more importantly, so that there aren't more victims in their wake, and so that they aren't as inclined to be a victim of their own self-destructive behavior, like going back out and rather than being in recovery, going back out and doing drugs once they get back out into the community because they haven't learned how to manage their own emotional life and to heal some of the trauma and the, the issues that propelled them to being in prison in the first place. I encounter quite a bit of a trauma, I believe, as a, as a child growing up. Daniel Silva of Sacramento, California, was born in Ecuador, South America, and came to the United States as a child. He was released from prison in 2015. Now age 66, he did 39 years inside the walls in California for murder. As a youth, there were problems in his family. We encounter quite a bit of uh, alcoholism in the, ho- in the home, and I saw a lot of violence through a stepfather that was not the perfect uh, father that would guide uh, a young kid into to being a, a positive uh, individual. And uh, through the attempts of trying to stop him from hitting my mother, I, I encountered, uh, you know, stuff that that no kid should, uh, you know, experience as a kid. And that led me to, you know, getting out to the streets a lot and meeting all the folks out there that were, you know, the thugs in the community that were coming from the same background as myself. And it just kind of just year to year, and by the time I was 13, I'm, I'm already joined up with a gang that, Uh, no kid at 13 should be a part of. Daniel's story of childhood trauma follows a pattern that Robin Kasarjan has seen frequently in her years of outreach to people in prison. I would say from my experience of having worked with hundreds and hundreds of people behind the wall that there is a tremendous amount of suffering that individuals have experienced. And again, this isn't to say, oh, you know, you poor thing. It's, it's never about excusing. It's about telling the truth. It's about coming to see the truth so you can participate in the healing process that will help liberate you and lift you out of the pain and the distress um, that those types of experiences naturally result in. About 1.2 million people live behind bars in the United States. Many were convicted of crimes committed while they were caught up with drugs, from opioid addiction to drunk driving. Some incarcerated people have experienced racial disparities at the hands of courts and police. A high number were abused as kids. But under the strain of prison, where your humanity may be reduced to the number you wear, Healing from trauma can be a trial unto itself. I was um, charged with three counts of first-degree murder with special circumstances. So I fought the death penalty, and 
what I did was wrong, and um, there was no justification for it. However, at the time, I rationalized somehow that it was uh, justifiable. For much of his life, starting in his 20s, Alvin Kimbrough was incarcerated in California. Next to Texas, California holds the largest number of prisoners of any state in the U.S. We're talking with several people who've been confined in that system. Alvin's anguishing time in prison gave him many years to contemplate previous events. The circumstances were that I was kind of living, a, I would say, a average lifestyle. I mean, I worked, I had a job, a career, things of that nature. But what I did do was that my relationship dynamics were not well. So I uh, was entertaining people that I shouldn't have, which eventually uh, kind of gotten me in domestic violence relationships. Eventually uh, that escalated to have individuals that were out looking for me because of uh, whatever reasons they may have had. They found out where I lived that one day and tracked me down, came to my home, uh, presented themselves as threatening, menacing. Um, I thought at that point, or at least I rationalized at that point that I had a, a situation where my life would be in danger. So I essentially uh, built a story in my own mind for what I needed to do to justify killing other human beings. And I did. I shot them and killed them. And I ended up subsequently with a sentence of um, 25 to life. I caught second-degree murder and voluntary manslaughter. And that's what sent me to prison. Alvin Kimbrough was released five years ago at age 52. Today, he works as a traffic control expert at construction sites and other venues in Northern California. A great deal has changed for him. Alvin credits Robin Kasarjan's book for turning his life around. At one point in time, I was in a cell with um, someone who uh, was extremely dangerous. And... Um, he had uh, put up about four other people that he was in a cell with in a hospital. And so the, the guy and I ended up in the same space. And he was hostile. And at that point, I was just determined not to make the circumstances even worse. Right. Be because I knew the levels that in these institutions can go to. And they can be extremely uh, unhealthy for you at times. So... I had a great deal of discipline. I was exercising. I was in really good shape. And so the individual recognized that because at that point in time, I would just sit on my bunk and read my Bible. And he would play music and it would be disruptive and be loud, and I would say nothing. I would just be very disciplined. And so as time would go by, two, three days, four days, the guy said, hey, man, you know, I know everybody thinks I'm a jerk, but I'm not. You know, it's just that, you know, I'm, I'm from Compton, and, and my mother was this type of person, my father was that type of person. And uh, he started to, you know, become extremely agitated and angry. And as he spoke, the more he spoke, the more, you know, he became angry. And he told me about how his father was murdered 
and how his mother was a prostitute and how he was sent to prison for 45 a life at 18 years old. And he was, as he talked, he became, you know, angry and angry. And then eventually he got to the point where he literally started crying. Mm. And at that point, I didn't understand, like, tears. I didn't want to understand it because I was trying to build a hardness in me so I can survive the circumstances. But whatever was in me at that point, and I thank God for it, I didn't feel hostility towards him at all. And I got up off of my bunk, and I reached over to this brother, and I hugged him, and I told him that, hey, man, we all we got. And that was the first day of my adult life that I learned to be a brother. And from that day, he and I, of course, got along much better. But I learned that, hey, I can be a man in these circumstances, and I do not have to be an animal. And I don't have to transform to what's going on around me. And so I got a little courage from him. He was my first real teacher. And uh, from that point, I began to stretch out my humanity slowly. Alvin and others we're hearing now return to prisons often, this time voluntarily, to lead classes based on the principles of Houses of Healing and a related project called Self-Awareness and Recovery. The lessons he learned derive from his own experience. I was being corrected by life. Life was giving me an opportunity to... Um, to you know, become a human being and we uh, re have an intimacy with my humanity, which I had lost by um, committing a crime. And the individuals that did it were the very people <laughs> that other people felt had no value. They became my liberators because along the way, uh, I would meet many men just like him. Hmm. Um, rather, they would be... <laughs> The guy, like, uh, later on to come in your life, like Daniel and I, you know, where we can share a group or rather that we can share a bowl of food. As Dr. King would say, you know, as they slowly but surely turn, you know, the very places that's, that's supposed to be a place of, uh, you know, shame, like a jail, and they would transform them dungeons into uh, havens of humanity. And so for me, rather it was, you know, the other fellow prisoners or sometimes correctional officers and uh, and definitely without question it was always my family members I had a mom that uh, still is alive she never missed one month in 20 she never missed a month wow and that kept me alive because I never felt forsaken and I saw a lot of men that were forsaken and it's hard to keep hope when you know, you don't have uh, connections to the community that you know that are bigger than you because there's very few things that um, you can see that uh, they give you some type of inspiration, especially when everything around you is concrete and steel and even human beings are hardened on the inside. So uh, those individuals were watershed moments for me. And then it was a process throughout the entire uh, um my entire uh, prison career was one constant affirmation after another that, you know, life was able to transform itself into, uh, you know, something better.
But in the high-stress conditions of prison, the pressures of incarceration can build. There's little privacy, a large number of convicted criminals are crammed into a small space, and some of them may be ticking time bombs, capable of hurting others or themselves. Robin Kasarjan. I think if they're really in an unhealed state, they have a lot of unresolved trauma, they're just propelled to be self-destructive and not have the emotional regulation competencies that needed when they get triggered. So any trigger can, can, not that they necessarily want it, but the trigger can trigger them into behaving in a way that is an expression of no emotional competency and, and, and regulation. So what can interrupt the cycle of perpetual misery, recidivism, ending up back behind bars? What can interrupt that? A fundamental shift in self-identity. That's what's really going to interrupt it. How do you come to experience yourself and see yourself in such a fundamentally different way that crime is no longer of interest to you? For Robin Kasarjan, that means asking the most basic question, who am I? Who prisoners believe they are, she says, informs their choices, including poor choices. Through self-reflection, a newfound positive identity comes into view. And that may be inconsistent with past behaviors that have undermined their well-being. But first of all, it requires calming down through meditation or other relaxation practices. When they are able to integrate these emotional regulation tools into their life, when they're able to begin to heal some of the trauma that they have experienced so that they really begin to understand themselves and release some of the hurt from their childhood, from their lives, they become, uh, uh, they become themselves, not the wounded individual who's, who's kind of on top of that core essence of, of, um, of goodness and, and health that they may never have had the safety to align with in the past. And so therefore they couldn't bring it forth into their life on a day-to-day -day basis. It reminds me of the phrase, hurt people, hurt people. Mm -hmm. People who've sustained trauma and who have trouble um, getting past it. Can you describe the kinds of trauma that you encounter in uh, prisoners uh, and the, the sort of trap that they find themselves in? Um, it could be any of a variety of traumatic experiences of being abused by a parent, not having your parents there, um, have, being abandoned, uh, growing up in a violent neighborhood, being diminished by the school experience rather than enhanced by it, put down because you had learning problems, say, that weren't addressed. Um, I, I think it's, it, it, and it could be even more global issues of racism, classism, 
but if you have a stable home life, you can overcome <clears throat> most anything. Of course, some people behind the walls are struggling with mental health challenges. And in our society, the mentally ill, especially those who are poor, are far likelier to land in jail than in a hospital. So there are many reasons why people might get entangled in antisocial behavior. And for Robin, one theme keeps coming up. They've experienced some type of trauma, some type of harm uh, that they haven't had the opportunity to, in a safe environment, to look at, to address, to, to heal. And as a result, that harm survived becomes a harm projected out onto the world because it's, uh, the, it's pain-based behavior. They haven't resolved their own pain, and so that pain-based behavior gets projected out into the world. So you've mentioned pain-based behavior. It just seems to me like so much of the dysfunction that I observe in our society and sometimes in my own life. Uh, pain is the driver. If, if a child doesn't have a safe environment, there is the pain of abandonment, the pain of a lack of safety, a pain, uh, the pain of internalizing many messages that I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, this is happening to me because of me rather than the inability of the adults in my environment being able to give me the level of safety that I deserve. And it's very easy for young children to blame themselves for the circumstances that surround them, even if they're blameless. Absolutely. They internalize that and they personalize it, that it's, it, it's, they, somehow they're deserving of that. And um, so the process of healing is a process of helping people to begin to peel the layers of the onion off on this emotional response, see more clearly what, what has um, triggered their responses. Examining how inmates can recover from their emotional wounds. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. For more information about this segment, Helping Prisoners to Heal, and to obtain audio downloads or CDs, please visit humanmedia.org. And you can send us an email there at humanmedia.org. I was raised in a very uh, strict and structured uh, Christian home. And my father was born in 1925, Tyler, Texas. My mother was born in 1933, Jackson, Mississippi. Jerome Anderson, now released from prison and living in Sacramento, works with self-awareness and recovery and the Houses of Healing program. While serving time in California for murder he committed in his 20s, Jerome's incarceration included spending eight years in solitary confinement, known as the SHU, or Secure Housing Unit. He, too, had a childhood marked by adversity. 
that suffered trauma through the fact that my older sister was murdered at a very young age and we was not allowed to process it. And so although I thought that my father couldn't connect with me as a youngster, as a youth, um, I realized later on as I started to go through the houses of healing that they did not know how to effectively communicate with their own children what was going on. And so with their best efforts of sending me to school and you know, and just micromanaging everything we did, I looked at it like they didn't trust me. And so I started to, of course, outwardly I would comply, but inwardly I would start to rebel. And that set up an internal struggle, which Jerome now realizes he didn't know how to process. He lacked adequate skills of self-reflection, which bred an intense feeling of insecurity that ultimately led him down a destructive path. Not being able to communicate or ask questions, now my communication style became, instead of being assertive, I was taught to be passive. And so that gave me a lot of negative self-talk. I compared myself to a lot of other youth. Um, I didn't feel adequate. I felt powerless. I felt stupid, insignificant. And I did not understand why I was not allowed to ask questions. Where was my sister? You know, why is all these people always asking, how are you doing? And then also the image that I had to portray to be perfect, like everything was okay to be a strong black man in the 70s. But through the exercises in introspection as taught in Houses of Healing, Jerome was able to develop new understanding about his earlier life that would unlock some of the confusion that had once gripped him. I had an identity crisis as a youth. And so some of that was, for me, I was a young African-American skinny male in a predominantly Caucasian environment. And so I didn't look like a lot of my peers. And I had a speech impediment, and I was told I was stupid, I was slow. Um, All these negative things that I heard from other people, and ultimately I started telling them to myself. And I started making negative contracts within myself. I will never be a victim. I will not let someone hurt me like they hurt my sister or... I would tell myself, I have the right to protect whoever I love at any cost. And so it was that type of thinking, those type of distortions, thinking distortions, that definitely needed to have some cognitive reframing, restructuring. And so it was a long process. It was a painful process, one that I wanted to run from for so long. But the fact was that I could not deny that my choices ultimately made me. And it sentenced me to a life without the possibility of parole, plus additional years in prison. And so going as a young 25-year-old boy to a high desert state prison, going to a Pelican Bay State Prison, B-Yard, where there was wars, I didn't know who I was. I wanted to be like everybody else. I wanted to fit in. I didn't want to feel inadequate. I didn't want to feel powerless. I wanted to feel accepted. And so for me... It was seeing other people gravitating towards houses of healing and inviting me to, hey, look, you may not be ready to go to a group, but in the quiet hours before you're ready to lay your head down and go to sleep, read this. And it started helping me slowly just put the pieces of my life back together when I realized that wasn't me who committed this horrendous act against a loving individual, shattering their family, 
altering my own family's lifestyle. Some of these insights occurred to Jerome during his time alone in the secure housing unit. And Houses of Healing has tracked 200 males, aged 20 to 66, who studied the program while in solitary confinement in three California prisons. Their average time in solitary was four years. A survey measured improvement in identifying triggers, handling anger, and ability to remain in control when upset. Again, Houses of Healing author Robin Kasarjan. The intervention that I, I do, that I encourage with the Houses of Healing program, which clearly has a very positive impact on people from teaching the, as I mentioned, teaching the emotional regulation piece, being very explicit about who are you really. Um, we w work a lot with this concept of the inner child work where they go back into their childhoods and access that adult part of themselves that can be there for themselves in a way that other people weren't capable of being there. And I just said, I want to go back to being a kind person. Jerome Anderson. I want to go back to being trusted. I want to go back to being sensitive. And if I have to live the rest of my life in here, I just want to have my purpose back. I've always loved people. How is it now I'm hurting people or I'm encouraging other people to hurt people? And I just became so disgusted with it. And I said, everything that I once learned that took me from the loving young individual, my spiritual, true spiritual nature, my core, I wanted to go back to that. I unlearned all the negative stuff, the cussing, you know, how to look hard and how to walk crazy. And I just started slowly chipping away at that. I started working on my speech. I started putting positive words and affirmations in my mind every day. And I ultimately, through the help of many mentors and life coaches in prison and on the outside, I tapped into my motivation and I went down the stairs and I rescued that hurt little Jerome. And I picked him up. I loved on him. I whispered loving words to him and I carried him back up those stairs. And there was forgiveness. There was clarity. There was understanding. And that was happening in your mind's eye. Absolutely. And I started to live it out every day. I just told myself today, I am not going to use profanity. And so I just started with the first five minutes. And then I started the next half hour. And it days turned to weeks, weeks turned to years. And I'm happy to say that I I'm worked on my profanity. And it's been seven years. I've been clean for 12 years sobriety from drugs and alcohol for 12 years. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's just, it's one of the blessings because once you really get your inner power and your true freedom, no matter where you are, you're at peace. You're beneficial to society. You're beneficial to whoever you come in contact with. And that's just, to me, it's, that's why I speak volumes about houses of healing and self-awareness and recovery. Coming up, further revelations for incarcerated people striving to put their lives back together when Helping Prisoners to Heal continues on Humankind in a Moment. The executive producer is David Freudberg. 
please subscribe to our free weekly podcast. The title is Humankind on Public Radio. You can find it at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcast services, as well as through our website. Again, the podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you'd like to support our program, please visit humankindpodcast.org. And at the top, click on How You Can Help. Thank you.